Welcome to Church's Changing Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Estock, and today I have the pleasure of talking with Alyssa Densham. She's pastor of Provision Church Nova. It's a new Methodist faith community in the entire area of Northern Virginia. Welcome, Alyssa. Thanks so much, Beth. It's good to be here with you. (laughs) On your website, you say, you won't find us in a church building because we're out in the world being the church. We gather in kitchens and at tables to make bread and to break bread. And that to me sounds so refreshing and I can't wait to hear more about this awesome ministry. So tell us, tell us about this ministry around gathering of tables. Sure. So Provision Church comes out of my deep frustration with the way that church exists in the world. In so many ways, it's very inward focused and inward looking. And as I was working alongside folks at a local mission church, I realized how desperately folks were were wanting to be a part of something bigger than just what was inside the walls of their building. Our buildings also really limit us too. And a lot of times like they provide us, it's really great to have storage space. Like that's a good thing, but they really make it so that it's hard for us to, to, to value what's going on outside of, of those walls. And so Provision Church is... It is, a, it is an entrepreneurial activity of the church that is designed to help spur entrepreneurial activity with folks in the world, especially those that are traditionally excluded from pathways of entrepreneurship because of systemic racism and generational poverty. And so we live out our mission through Provision Kitchen, which provides the training grounds for our culinary program, which is what we're in the process of building. And does that not by necessarily going out and getting traditional catering gigs at like a wedding or something like that. But instead, we develop these sidewalk cafes, which are fully functioning, real sidewalk cafes, where folks can walk up and receive a chef-curated, nutritious, and delicious meal without any payment whatsoever. And so our folks will practice their techniques that they're learning by actually serving the communities that they're from and the communities that surround them. So it's kind of, we see it as like a twofold mission activity where we're developing entrepreneurs in communities that often are excluded from entrepreneurship. And we're doing it in a way that shows folks around the the areas that are traditionally excluded that food should be good, right? Food should nourish our bodies, but food should also nourish our souls. And and so these two spaces lead us outside of buildings, although we still need kitchens, but they still lead us outside of buildings to sit down and have conversations with folks around tables, whether those tables are at the tables where we're at the work tables, where we're learning the culinary techniques, the tables where we're sitting with our, our communities at our community cafes, or the tables where we're just working with folks to sort of dive into what does it mean to serve the world in the way that that Jesus showed us that we should be doing that. So that's just a, a little nugget of what we do, but I'm sure we're going to get into more of the, the nitty gritty in a minute. Wow, that is so beautiful. And I have so many questions. And I know I'm going to sound like a, a real kind of nudge, but how do you... 
how do you pay for this ministry? Huh. <laughs> well, it's very helpful to have a grant from the Virginia Annual Conference right now. Okay. But we do believe very strongly that churches can't survive by traditional play offerings. I mean, mm-hmm. we're seeing that. That's I'm not saying anything new here. And so we believe in having multiple revenue streams. And so one of those revenue streams is we have a food truck and we are able to do what we we have church catering contracts. So a church says, hey, I'm having a fall festival, which is what we did yesterday. I'm having a fall festival and we, we'd like to have, you know, a food truck there. Can you all show up? And so we show up in that space and we offer a delicious meal that folks can purchase and they do that completely in a support-as-you-can model. And we've actually found that we receive a, a decent amount of funding through those kinds of donations. We also have products that we've created, and we're in the process of offering to the community. Again, everything we do is support-as-you-can. So we roast our own coffee in-house. It's the same coffee that we serve in our cafes, but folks can purchase a bag from us, and they can give us additional money on top of the cost of that bag in order to fund the coffee in our cafes. So we haven't paid for coffee for our cafes since we first started operating them in June. And that's a small cost, right? That's Mm -hmm. small for us, but it actually leads to a lot of funding for the work that we do. Also, because we are run by chefs, and it's not just that we know how to make good food, but we know how to take a wide variety of food and turn it into something really delicious and really nutritious, for pennies on the dollar. So our cafes, the meals that we serve generally cost us between 67 cents or so, or to a dollar a person. So this last month, we fed over 500 people in our cafes here at across three sites. And we, you know, we probably spent maybe $300 to do that over that month. The snacks are what cost us more money. And so if folks would like to donate in kind for snacks, we can do that. Or folks will also donate money for for us to purchase those. We have a very strict uh, nutritional profile that we're looking for in those kinds of snacks. So it's a little bit different. So using these multiple revenue streams, whether they're church catering contracts, they're community catering contracts, there are community meals, which is a three-course dinner that we operate about once a quarter right now which is like a big fundraising kind of dinner where folks come in and through conversation experience a worship service where they also learn from that experience and then take it out into the world from there. We also raise money through those. So multiple revenue streams are extremely important to work that we do. And it's not just the work of the church, right? The church that we're we're operating right now, but also churches everywhere. I mean, when I was doing this work to build food systems prior to my work here, I was a food systems consultant and I worked with small family farmers to help them integrate into farm to school work, things like that, Mm. farm to business kind of of opportunities. And we always said to them, because your main, I mean, farm to school work, for instance, for a farmer, isn't going to bring them lots of revenue, right? But it's going to provide the revenue that they need to meet those gaps for when the price of grain or corn drops to the floor, which is something we're seeing right now. And so having those relationships, being able to get watermelons, for instance, to a local school in Delaware brings in revenue for that particular farmer that is really helpful. And I'm taking those models and applying them to the work that we're doing here at Provision Church because multiple revenue streams, not just grants, not just plate offerings, but truly leaning into 
a transactional economy that just surrounds us is how we think that we're going to be able to create that transformational community that really is the kingdom of God. It sounds like this is big. And, you know, in terms of developing those revenue streams, developing the products, this is a big, a big thing. So is it, is it you who's doing this? I mean, who's, who's on your team? How does that work? Man, Beth, you sound like the church development team at Virginia Annual Conference. But no, it's really important. It can't just be me. It can't just be me. If it was just me, I would die. Yeah. So we have we have a pretty decent team of people right now that we're working. I do a lot of the ideation. That's like kind of what my wheelhouse is thinking through. Mm-hmm. Like, well, what could we do next? Mm-hmm. And then finding ways of making that work and integrate into what we're, we're doing. And the reason I can do that is because I have a small team of folks. We have a social worker who's also discerning a call into ministry, which I think mm-hmm. is really special. But they're in the work, the in, in the trenches, if you will, of the community cafes and inviting people into those spaces and making sure those spaces are spaces where folks feel welcome, where they feel safe, where they can f- receive a, a really delicious meal, right? So our community connections coordinator is doing that. And they've been working in that community to find what we call community advisors. So folks who are experiencing homelessness or housing insecurity, who really feel like this is an important ministry to them. And so we actually have two folks on our payroll right now who are our community advisors who are coming out of the communities that we're serving alongside. We have one more that I'm trying to convince wants to transition into maybe maybe a more full-time role with us in that in that sort of space. So we have that team of people working on that the boots on the ground kind of work. And then we have a space open to hire a what I call a kitchen connections coordinator. So the person who would be running the day-to-day operations of the catering contracts of our pre- preparing the weekly meals, things like that. So, you know, I don't know when this podcast comes out, but we're currently hiring for that position and we'd <laughs> love to receive people's resumes. We're very open. We want somebody with a good sense of business, of what the business side is, but also a good sense of, of what it means to make delicious food. They've got to be balanced in order to, to be a real provision church a member. But that person takes on those types of, of roles. And then I have a team, we call it the Kitchen Sink. That's our leadership team. It's strategic innovation and community leadership team. But the Kitchen Sink folks work on everything but the kitchen sink to make sure that we can do these these sorts of things. So they'll show up in spaces where we just need to think like, okay, how do we do this differently, right? Mm-hmm. What, or what can we take from, from the inherited church and, and really use that here? But what do we need to, to shift and move in different spaces, right, to make it work better for, for the populations we're working alongside? But they also do things like they show up and serve at a community meal because we need servers, you know, so really, truly everything but the kitchen sink. I don't need them to be plumbers yet, right? Not, not yet. <laughs> so it's a whole team that's working through that. But right now, I am the coffee roaster. When people receive the coffee, they receive it from me. It is a spiritual discipline of mine to sit there. It takes a good 15 minutes to roast coffee. And in that process, as you watch the beans sort of fall and rotate through and, and they move from like the, you know, that green bean and they start mm-hmm. to get that roasty, toasty smell. And then they turn to it. There's something very powerful to me in the connection of how 
we work alongside God to change things. So I am the coffee roaster. I make all the labels and put them on the bags. That's the kind of work that I'm doing. And thinking through what's next. Do you get to name the different kinds of coffee? I do. I do. Oh. Right now, we, um, we just call one. It's just one that we have. We call it the community cup. And because we purchase our beans in small batches from a local company, well, not our local, but local in that they are here in the United States. And they also purchase their beans from sustainably grown small producers in the countries where we're, where we're purchasing from. Our roasts change kind of regularly. Like we just we just went through our Papua New Guinea. We don't have any more Papua New Guinea. We're getting ready to use a new a new variety coming out of Colombia because it sounded interesting to me and it roasts really well and holds really well. Because that's mm-hmm. other we don't need finicky coffee here for our cafes. They're long operations. So yeah, no, I do get to I do get to name them and a lot of our other products too, which is a little bit fun, right? Yeah. Golly, there's so many questions. This is so beautiful. Tell me about your chefs and this training program that you want to get started. Yeah. So we currently, our our training program isn't isn't operational yet. Mm -hmm. In order to have a training program, you need to have a food program. And we need to know that we have regular opportunities for folks to practice their, their craft. And so that's what we've been doing. We launched on January 1st of this year. We're just a little, you know, we're almost a Eleven months in on Wednesday, right? All Saints Day is a special birthday for us, and so we've just been building that food program. What does it look like for us to have two or three catering contracts a month with a church? What does it look like for us to have regular contracts with local organizations? How do we build private catering? Those kinds of things, because those are how again you 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 make you know create revenue in spaces, and so that's the work that we're doing. When we do launch this this work, we are looking specifically to target women with children, especially women who are experienced or have experienced housing insecurity. My personal bias here, I served as a Peace Corps volunteer in Chad, and I worked with women in my village. And it was always really incredible to me about how when we would empower women in business how they not only grew their business, but they grew it in a way that incorporated so many other people into their businesses. And when I look about at those trends here, right? So third goal, bring it back to the United States now. The same thing happens in communities here. When we empower women to develop businesses that allow them to, to be able to deal with childcare well, right? Mm-hmm. They also bring in they bring in their friends, their sisters, their cousins, their aunties. Everyone comes into this business, and it creates its own micro community that then helps lift a whole group of people out of that insecurity that they've been facing for generations in some cases. And so that's our target population. Currently, the chefs that we're working with now are military chefs, which is really interesting. My husband and I met at the Culinary Institute of America. And when he he graduated and he went to work in restaurants in Philadelphia, I went to go do food systems work in Philadelphia. And while he was there, he, you know, that's hard work. Like working in restaurants is hard work. And he decided to join the military as a cook. And he's currently an enlisted aide which means that he's a private chef and household manager. And so his network of friends here in the D.C. area, there's a call to servant leadership that they have that is sometimes hard to find in lots mm. of other spaces. And so it's really interesting how our vocational calls are very closely linked and yet 
very differently applied, right? But in this case, they we come together in this space. And so we've had a good number of, of local local military chefs who are part of the work of building this program. And they're also really good at developing training programs that work and that makes sense, right? So we have some really cool things happening on the ground in terms of developing the, the culinary side of, of what we're doing here. Okay, so I've heard now that you have been a Peace Corps volunteer. You are a professionally trained chef. Tell us about the call to ministry and how you ended up doing this now. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, Beth, I think we need a whole other podcast for that because it's a very (laughs) windy, it's a very windy path. But what's really interesting is I think I first heard the call when I was in high school and I was sitting in my local church in Allen, Texas and listening to the pastor preach and thinking, oh, I could do that. Like I, I could do that. And I thought, oh, no, 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 no one does that. And so I went to college and tried to do all these normal things. And, you know, I never did anything quite normally. My mom will tell you, she's like, I just don't understand. Like, you just didn't fall. There's no aid to be here. And so I studied our history and philosophy. I couldn't figure out what I was going to do with that. I thought I wanted to do museum education. And I did not like doing that as an intern. That was not the world I wanted to work in. So I joined the Peace Corps. Peace Corps sent me to Chad. And there I learned I really care about food systems. And food Mm -hmm. systems are ways that we can really interact with communities. I thought, well, if I'm going to do this work, when I go home, I need to learn more about food. We're actually evacuated from Chad on Good Friday of 2006. It's really interesting how the church calendar plays a role in my life a lot of times. Mm -hmm. But we were evacuated on Good Friday of 2006. And I applied to the Culinary Institute of America from Yaoundé, Cameroon, probably mm. right after Easter, right? Probably Easter Monday is when that when the application went in. And so I went there not to be a chef. My goal was not to work in restaurants. My goal was to work in food systems and, and really alter the food landscape in, in America in a way that helped folks find ways to access really good food. We, we believe, my husband and I truly believe that all people deserve access to delicious food that's nutritious, that feeds them, feeds their souls, feeds their bellies at the exact same time. So I did that work. I had a lot of fun doing the farm to school work. But when my husband joined the military, the military moved us to Fort Sill, Oklahoma. And so I had to leave behind some of that work to go to work in Oklahoma. I was contracted with Oklahoma State University to develop a school-wide food service training program for the school nutrition professionals there. But we were only there for a year and a half. And John decided he wanted to come back to D.C. He wanted to work at the Pentagon. He dropped his packet and moved us here. And this is the era before Zoom. This is before, this is way pre-pandemic when no one, like working remotely wasn't a thing most people did. And my contracts in Oklahoma didn't understand that. And so I moved to D.C. with a six-month-old baby and I had no idea what I was going to do. And I love to work. Like, I love it. It gives me, like, joy to do that, to do things that, that feel good for the world, you know? So I didn't know what I was going to do. And a church posted that they were, they needed to hire a children's director and a friend sent it to me. And I was like, oh, I mean, I could do that. I have a background in education, but that's not, that's, I don't want to do that. So I didn't, I didn't apply to that job. 
But what's really interesting about God is how like, it always comes back around. And a few months later, that exact same posting, they had hired somebody who was a military spouse who had to move because military orders to somewhere else. So the position was open again. And this time I was sitting at my mom's kitchen table in, da- in Dallas, Texas. And I just, I heard the voice, the voice that told me to apply to the Peace Corps is the same voice who told me to apply to this position. And I was like, uh, why, why? But okay. And the Kingstown communion, for whatever reason, and I mean, I really, I still sometimes don't exactly know why, they hired me. And in that space, I had a lot of opportunity. I worked very closely with children, but I got to work very closely. It's a plant church. And when you're staffed a plant, you mm-hmm. do all the things, all of the things. Bishop Tom Berlin actually called me a generalist once. He was like, you kind of do everything. And I was like, yes, that's, I'm not a specialist. I do all of the things because all the things are there to be done. So they hired me. I got to do a lot of really cool work. And people kept coming up to me and saying things like, oh, Alyssa, you know, why, why, you know, you should, you should go into ministry. You should go into ministry. I'm like, oh, I can't go into ministry. My family is already itinerant. We can't move around. (laughs) I can't join an itinerant system when we're already itinerant. How does that even work? But I had a friend who came up to me and said, no, 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 that, that's not an excuse that works here. There are ways to work through that. And that same time, my husband was being offered a job outside of the military. And he came home to tell me that. And I was so mad, Beth. I was like, why? You know, we have health benefits. We have some stability here. You know, my role as a military spouse is important to me. Like, why would you even think about that? And he'd been so excited. I think I crushed him at that moment, which is its own own conversation, right? Like the moments where we, we speak to our spouses in ways we probably shouldn't. And yet the lessons that come from that are really huge. I was driving around, I was fuming. I was driving my son to preschool and I was sitting at a red light and it just sort of hit me like a ton of bricks. It was like, you've been saying that you can't go into ministry because your spouse is itinerant, but guess what? I can make that go away, right? John stayed in the military. I accepted that call (laughs) and here we are. And I'm sitting here in the provisional process in Virginia, trying to get through this process and plant a church. It's its own level of I think crazy that I think anytime we we submit to a call, it gets that way, you know? So, yeah. It does. And it's, you know, when we listen to that soul call, because that's what I'm hearing you, it, it's yeah. definitely a, a soul call and you're, you're consenting to it. There's a sense of hang on because it's going to be a wild ride. And it sounds like this past year has been a wild ride. And I'm just so impressed by the fact that you've come this distance in such a short time. So I'm wondering, first of all, how did you acquire the food truck? And how has this kind of just like you're, you're, you're riding a big wave here? Yeah, we are. So the thing about this is we've been working intentionally on it, right? We launched January 1st. But the point to get to January 1st was about two years of work, right? Okay. The first ideation of, of what this could be, the first iteration of it, right, was actually a project, an end-of-course project for Paul Nixon's church planting class at Wesley Theological Seminary. Oh, I know him. Yeah, you know him. He's okay. He's fine. We'll keep him around, I guess. And Paul said to me, you know, this project, this is interesting, I don't think it works quite the way you think it is here, but this is interesting. This should come out of Rising Hope. And I went, huh, 
well, I don't know about that, but you know, whatever. And went on my sort of merry way. But that sort of that nugget, sort of that seed just, you know, kept wiggling around in my brain. And and so at Wesley, you're required to do two years of it, or you were required to do two years of an internship at a church. My first year was at Kingstown. I was working there. It was easier. My second year, I thought, well, what if I moved this to Rising Hope? Rising Hope is an incredible mission church in, in Northern Virginia. They do amazing work along the Route 1 corridor in Alexandria. And I I think they have the perfect name for a bread company. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, so I went to the pastor and I said, what if I moved my internship here, my PMM here, and we started a bread company here? Like, what would that look like? And Cameron who is the pastor there, Cameron Wilds, is an entrepreneurial spirit himself. And he was like, sure, why not? You know, why not do that? But my first week there, we realized that the kitchen at Rising Hope didn't have the capacity to do that. And so we spent, you know, the whatever, six months, nine months, whatever that is at Wesley, just sort of thinking about like, what, what do we need in a kitchen? What does that look like to be able to serve people well in this space? What would we need to do? They applied for a grant and received a huge amount of money from the county to renovate their kitchen. So we went through that whole process. And then what equipment do you need in that space? And, you know, all of those kinds of things. So I never started the Rising Hope Bread Company ever. <laughs> but they now have an amazing kitchen that they use to feed folks, you know, Tuesday through Friday in that space, as well as part of their the hypothermia shelter that operates. It's the only hypothermia shelter in Northern Virginia that doesn't move. Um, around, which is really cool. So what does that look like then? How do we move that? How do we, how do we move that? I was at a, I was appointed to a different church at that point. And, you know, so well, how does another church come alongside this work and, and sort of live into it? They didn't want to be a part of that, that work as much as I wanted them to be a part of that work. And which is, you know, a whole nother story about having a team behind you, right, Beth? You've always mm-hmm. got to have the team behind you. Who's on your team? And so we got six months of funding from the Board of Missions here in the Northern Virginia District to go back to Rising Hope and to look like, what would it look like for Rising Hope to plant this church or for us to plant this church on its own as a parachute drop? What, what does that look like? So we spent six months really leaning into that. Rising Hope decided they couldn't plant it, but we'd already done all of this background work that they were, we were able to go forward as a, as a supported parachute drop. A lot of times when people think about parachute drops, they think about them not not being able to survive, right? Like there's a lot of work that's shown that parachute drops just don't work, right? That's actually not true here in Virginia. When they're supported by churches, they do pretty well. They have about the same rate of failure as just a normal mother-daughter church plant, right? It just depends on what's the work behind it. And so we went ahead and we decided to try this out and see what it looked like. So... The food truck itself is part of the support that we have from the district strategy team here in Northern Virginia. They gave us 40. I thought we could probably get a good food truck for about 35, a fine food truck for about $35,000. They gave us a $40,000 grant to go find it. The finding of the food truck is not the hard part. That's, That's the easy part. That's the part I know a lot about. That's the food business part. But it was actually connections with other people that got us a food truck that was immensely affordable. A friend of a friend of a friend connected me to a man named Sam Amani. And Sam had two food trucks that he bought, his company bought as part of the pan- right before the pandemic. They were they're DC tacos, that's who they mm-hmm. are. And they catered at weddings and things like that. 
But because of the pandemic, they realized they didn't need that. They were doing so well in their brick and mortar. They wanted to sell two of their food trucks. And so he heard my story and he thought, well, he said, you know, this is, this is really good. This is the work I think I want to be a part of too. How about this? I'm going to sell it to you for $25,000. And I was wow. like, what? <laughs> he was like, and actually it's really just 20000 because I'm going to take the other 5000 and I'm going to fix the things on this that you're going to need to fix anyway, but I can fix cheaper because I know people. And so it's just all the connections that got us to this place. So now we have a big green behemoth of a food truck that we're in the process. It still needs new tires. Got to replace the starter on it. That That's on my list of things to do. But we now have a food truck. So all of these different like threads, right, that get woven together. That's what the food truck represents for me. It's communities into communities into communities helping launch this in a way that we're not unsupported. We're not on our own in a community. We're so vitally a part of where we are, of the, we don't have a building, but our where is so rooted in Northern Virginia because of the fabric that's been woven around us. And I think there's something really gorgeous about that and the interconnectedness that we feel in life that that food truck represents for me. Yeah. And I wouldn't necessarily call you a a classic parachute drop because you are native right now to that territory. And this is a, a different kind of ministry that relies on the connections that you've already made, which is really beautiful. And I want to come back around to, you know, that comment that you made about, oh, my mom says, you know, I, I never went from point A to point B. It sounds like God has used that gift in you in a sense of this deep trust of whatever I'm engaged with is what I need to be engaged with because it's going to give me what I need for this moment and propel me into that next thing. And boy, if we could instill that in every church and every church planter that, yeah, it might, it might not make sense right now, but there's, there is a pathway here and we just have to stay with in this moment, this is what this is. I call it the, um, the frozen theology. It's your next right step is the step that you're supposed to take. You don't have to see 10 steps in front of you. You just have to take the next right step. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that right step, it can feel a little bit wrong, but it's also, you know, I just movies. I just love movies, right? But Indiana Jones taking that step onto the pathway, right? The leap from the lion's head and lands on a pathway that all of a sudden becomes completely clear, right? Those two things animate, haha, pun, animate from the animated movies animate the way that I think about where we're supposed to go and what we're supposed to do, because it, there is always a way, there's always a way. And sometimes it can be overwhelming to try to think about your end point. But I always tell folks too, like we're, the beautiful thing about who we are as Christians is that when we're planning for the next thing, I mean, we're thinking towards the, you know, the second coming of Christ right? Like, I can't, I can't think that far in the future. We're trying to build the kingdom out to that. I can't think that far ahead. So let me start where I am right here, where Mm -hmm. I am here will get me to where we're supposed to go because that's what God does. That's the, the empowerment, the enabling that God provides us. And that's not me. That's Jesus. You know, here's, here's a helper for you, you know, take the spirit and go. Yeah. You know, we are kind of, we have, 
wow, the time has flown. And I do think I want to invite you back again because there's just so much that we haven't heard yet. And I want to invite people listening to this podcast, please send some questions and we'll invite Alyssa back again because there's so much that you brought up today that, you know, these little trails that we could follow up with you on. And what a what a beautiful story and a beautiful unfolding. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today to, to make this introduction of Provision Church. I also want to ask you two things. How can people find out more about what you're doing and follow you? Yeah, so we are obviously, as you quoted at the very beginning, you can find our website. We will be updating it more regularly with what our events look like. We've just moved to a, a different provider that makes that really easy to do. So yay, no more WordPress. But the other, the best way is on Facebook and you can find us at Provision Church Nova. Um, I post a lot of our stuff that we're doing on there. A lot of what we're doing and how we're doing it and why we're doing it comes out on there. And we invite you to, to like us and follow us and whatever Facebook words they've changed it into this day, but to see us in your feed because there's all sorts of really cool things that are coming up in the next few months. And we cannot wait to see what our second year will bring us in 2024. Wow. What what a blessing. What a bountiful blessing around a table, around many tables. Can you help us for anybody who is kind of been inspired by this conversation, who might feel like, wow, this is something that I've been thinking about doing. Can you offer us a blessing right now? I can. I would love to, Beth. Thank you. Friends, holy God, you give us so much. You give us so many ideas. And yet, time and time again, we react to those ideas out of fear. And we never live into them. And so help us to feel your spirit moving in us and around us and through us and with us. So that when we have these ideas, we don't stop, we don't hesitate, but we say, what if? Mm-hmm. And we move our feet in a way that is you showing us the way. Give us that belief in who you are so that we can be who you are calling us to be. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who showed us what it means to be. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Alyssa. It was my pleasure, Beth, truly. Thank you. Church is Changing Podcast is a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Music is by Sanjay Singh. Visit all our podcasts at podcast.umcdiscipleship.org.